0: In church, <laughs> thanks, Barry. Um, it's so good to be with you this morning. Um, we're going to be wrapping up our Dead Inside series. This is the very last sermon of this series, and um, I'm excited to talk with you through it a little bit. Um, and I'm I'm anticipating that our discussion this morning isn't going to be complete. I'm not gonna give you all the answers. I'm probably not even gonna give you most of the answers. I might only give you one answer. Um, But I I suspect that we're gonna generate some questions and I'm ready for that. I want you to think about those questions. We're not afraid of asking questions and dealing with questions. Um, So just know that ahead of time. If something pops in your mind like, okay, what you're saying doesn't make any sense, just just write it down, it's cool. Or you can text it to me or email it to me, whatever you wanna do. Um, We're gonna generate some questions. I was listening this week And um, the guy was talking about, he talks about folklore and, and how cultures tell stories and things like that. And he was making the case that for a long, long time, across many, many, many different cultures, there are places where people think that the spiritual world and our physical world kind of intersect. There's like intersections, there's crossways, there's pathways between the two worlds. And I'm not, I'm not advocating this as a biblical worldview. I'm just explaining this is how cultures have understood that. So in these places where they see or where they suspect that there's a weakness, a breakdown, where the two worlds kind of come together, those become special places. They become holy places. They become places that are sacred. And we don't go in there and like, you know, uh, throw a birthday party and kids are running around with their muddy shoes all over the white carpet. Like, no, 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 these become, these become holy places. We set them aside and we revere them. And people will often build, they'll build temples, they'll build shrines, they'll put burial grounds there and all of these and these places because they believe that there's an intersection between what's physical and what we can see and what is spiritual, and what we can't see, right? We, we know about um, Native Americans or First, First Nations peoples who have burial grounds, and these are sacred burial grounds, and we know all the ghost stories that go along with those. Um, and there are, but it's, it's universal. It goes across a bunch of different kinds of cultures. But here's the question I want to ask you. If you wanted to destroy that intersection, what change in thinking would you have to make? If you want to destroy that place as a sacred place, what change in your thinking about that place would you have to make? What's that? Not to believe it? Not to believe that there's an actual intersection there? Like, there's nothing special about this. It's just, it's just a normal place. What's that? Desecrate, or it, Desecrate it or make it unholy? then it's not sacred anymore, right? If, if you wanted to destroy something, you'd have to change your thinking about that place. And you would just say, this place, that for a long, long time and for many generations people have regarded as sacred, just say, that's, not, that's just another place. It's just another pile of dirt where you happen to bury a bunch of people that are now rotted and, and now they're organic matter. Like, so what? It's just another place, right? And once it's just another place, then there's nothing sacred about it, Right? So this morning, our discussion is going to to focus on a similar kind of attack because we read in Genesis 1-1 that God made people to be like him. And when he says, I'm going to make people to be like him, how does he express that idea? He says, God made man in his own image. Male and female, he created them. There's something about sex and sexuality that reflects God's image in a special way. Not the whole completeness. But in a special way, God was a life giver. He created things and that is how he chose to introduce himself. And then he sets up man and woman who, hey, by the way, when they're together, give life to other things. You see the picture there? And we live in a culture, we live in a world that, that has questioned that and has said, that's just, it's just a physical thing. It doesn't matter. There's nothing sacred or nothing holy about that. And and I think that the scriptures push back against that idea. And that's what I'd like to discuss today as we close up this series. So if you turn with me in your Bibles to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to be in verse 12. If you're using a story Bible, it's on page 791. If you'd like a Bible to follow along with, we've got these here. Um, And these are our gift to you. Do you guys want one? No, you don't want one? Anybody? We're good? Okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm going to need one. (laughs) My bad. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for who you are, and we thank you for your word, Lord. We know and we have affirmed today that there has never been anyone like you, that you are completely holy, you're separate from your creation, and that everything that we are, we owe to you, from our physical presence to our spiritual life, like it's all yours to begin with. And so, Lord, as we come to your word, as it challenges our thinking and it challenges the thinking of our neighbors, Lord, we pray that you'd give us wisdom. Lord, we need your wisdom. And we pray that you'd give us grace to uh, interact with and, and ask questions about this and come to a place of understanding. But, Lord, you didn't make things confusing. There were some things that you wanted to be very clear about. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to have clarity about the things you're clear about. And, Lord, we pray that you would help us to grow in you and grow in grace as we walk with you this morning and in the days to come. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to begin in verse 12. So if you read along with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Beginning in verse 12, and I'm going to read just the first two verses there verses 12 through 14. <clears throat> he says this Quote, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God will raise, and God raised the Lord, and will also raise us up by His power. Pause. We're gonna pause there because we're in the middle of a series. We've been going through all of these chapters, and we're kind of dropping in to the middle of a story, a middle of a narrative. Remember, we're we've been using the church in Corinth, the city of Corinth, as a case study for how uh, hypocrisy works in the church. And, and how we deal with hypocrisy in the church. And so um, this is a letter that was written by Paul, who is the guy who started the church, and he's been away for a couple of years, but he's getting word back that there's things going on in the church that he started that ought not to be so. And so he's writing this letter saying, I've heard all of these things about what's going on with you guys, and I have some concerns, and I want to address them. And what he does here in these first couple of verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and starting in verse 12 is he starts quoting a common saying to them. Like if I said, it is what it is. Or if I said, YOLO. Like y'all would know what I meant, right? YOLO, you only live once, right? It is what it is. And that's like a common saying that we have in our culture. What he's doing is quoting back to them a common saying in them. All things are lawful for me which is kind of, you know, I do what I want. Like, all things are lawful for me. Like, I, I'm not bound by any, Like, anything that I want to do, I can do. I do what makes me happy. Like, treat yourself. You, you know what I'm saying? He says, all things are lawful for me. So he's taking that, and then he's offering a corrective statement. He's saying, essentially, there is truth in what you have said and what you use, but it's incomplete truth. So all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Yes, you can do whatever you want, but that doesn't mean that you doing what you want is going to get the results that you want. All things are lawful for you. You can do whatever, but not everything is helpful. There are some things you can do, you can make the choice to do, you have the freedom to make the choice to do them. It will not help you. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Like, if, if, if I choose to make this decision, if I choose to use this substance, and this substance begins to dominate me, yes, I had the choice to use the substance. Yes, it was lawful for me to do so, but I will not be dominated by anything. My life is not going to be run by this substance that I have to have. Do you understand what he's saying here? And he says, food is meant for the stomach, and stomach for food. Like we we kind of get this. Like anybody eat? Yeah. <laughs> All right, there we go. <laughs> he says, look, the food is made for stomach. So, so so food we eat for the stomach. And the stomach was made for food. So like the stomach exists in order to process the food that we eat, like they're a thing that goes together. And he says. But God, and God will destroy both one and the other. And, and this is where he says, like, you guys think that what I do with my body doesn't matter because ultimately God's going to erase everything. This is where there's, there's folks who have a little nugget of truth about how the end times work. They know that God's going to burn up the whole earth anyway. They know that I'm going to die and get a new body. And if I'm going to die and get a new body, what does it matter what I do with this one anyway? Right? Yeah, this is the idea, yeah, <laughs> correct, but this is the idea that he's addressing. He's like, it doesn't matter what I do with my body because the body is going to be gone and I'm going to get a new one in Christ and, and it, it doesn't matter. Is like, no, no, no. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. There's an ownership idea here. The Lord made the body and the body is for the Lord. Verse 14, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Here's a a minute detail, and if we were in a seminary class, we would spend six weeks on it. But we're not in a seminary class, so I'm going to give it to you in a minute. Do you realize that Jesus Christ died a physical death? That Jesus came and lived as a man, and as a man was crucified, and that his body was broken. And do you realize that when Jesus was resurrected and came back from the dead, he came back with a resurrected body? And it might seem like splitting hairs for me to say he came back with a resurrected body as opposed to he came back with a new body, but God is resurrecting things. It's not that he's, he's completely obliterating everything. It's not that he wants to completely obliterate things. He wants to recreate them to be the way that they were meant to be. And so that Christ was raised from the dead with a resurrected body. His body was his body. Like his disciples recognized him. He had the same face afterwards. But he, So he's saying, look, like if Jesus' body was important enough to stick through, you know, conquering sin and being obliterating or (laughs) obliterating death, like if it was important enough to carry through that process, don't you think yours might stick around too? Don't you think the habits and the things that you bear into your body, don't you think that those things are going to have a bearing after the body's resurrected? It's a question. See, the food is meant for stomach, and stomach for the food, and God will destroy both one and the other. So what? But the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised up the Lord, and will also raise us up by his power. So the idea that he's getting at is... I'm not going to click on the thing. The idea that he's getting at is that uh, it, sexual immorality is not... Is not good for us. Now, this is an idea that we have we've circled around a couple of times. We've We've identified sexual immorality in the church in Corinth before, but we haven't ever gotten to the root of the principle of a sexual ethic, and that's what we're doing today. And he's saying, you guys have taken the desire that you feel for food and your fulfillment of the desire that you feel for food, so hunger and eating, you've taken those ideas and identified them with sex. And you've said it doesn't, and in the end, it doesn't matter what I do with my body because the whole thing is going to get burnt up anyway. I don't have to worry about what I do in this life. I don't have to worry about what I do with my body because God's going to wipe the slate clean in eternity, and I'm going to go forward. He's saying, no, 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 you've missed it. One, you've missed it because we are more than our body. When God made people, he actually got down into the ground. He took the dirt that he was working with and he got down and he formed it and he shaped it and he made a body. And then he breathed into it. Everything else in creation, he just spoke and it was. But when it came to the thing that he was going to make like him, he got down and he got dirty. And it wasn't just something that he spoke into creation. It was something that he crafted with his hand. And so when we think about our body, we're thinking about something that is more than just the physical self. We know, I mean, if we're in church, we suspect this. We're probably spiritual people and we understand that there's some kind of a spiritual component to my being. But do you see that God knit those things together from the very beginning? And from the very beginning, when he wanted to make something like him, he had to make them both male and female, right? Right? So there's a common lie. It was common in Corinth and it's common today that your expression of sexuality is about fulfilling your desires. It's about saying, well, well, I want to do what makes me feel good. I want to do the way it makes me feel fulfilled. I'm going to find my identity in, um, in what I do. It's, it's, it's like a buffet. Like, Whatever it is that I want sexually, I'm going to go down the line and I'm going to pile up my plate and I'm going to go go back and I'm going to empty my and I'm going to come back with a lunch tray and I'm going to come back down and then I'm going to have to bring the forklift around. Like, whatever it is that I want, I want to fulfill my desires sexually. And it's a common lie, but that's not what sex was designed to be. Sex was designed to be an illustration of the life-giving properties of God himself something innate to us. And they had taken their, their sexual desire and their sexual fulfillment and equated it with hunger and eating. says you've missed it because you are more than just what your body is. The food goes into the stomach, it's expelled, so what? Yeah. But there's something sticky about sex. <laughs> Awkward. There's something that makes us uncomfortable to even think about it, makes us uncomfortable to talk about it in church. Like, I took a shower this morning, I got a collared shirt, we're going to talk about sex? Like, that's, there's something about it that's deeper. There are deeper truths than just, I rode my bicycle, something I did with my body, right? Right? Or I rode my bicycle, like, with my, like on a tandem bicycle. Like you could ride a tandem bicycle and no one would be uncomfortable with you talking about that. But when you talk about having sex with your wife, like it's like, know I'm we know inherently there's something different about sex. That's the point, right? Okay. So let's continue. We'll read some more. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. See, here's where he he outlines it. He says, sexual intimacy is more than just a physical activity you become spiritually attached to those that you're sexually intimate. And that is why there's a whole world full of people that are sleeping around and can't understand why it hurts their heart so much. Why am I, like, I'm doing, I'm, I'm, I'm living my best life now and I'm, I'm doing all the party scene and I've got stuff going on and yet, like, I still feel so empty. Like, why do I feel like I'm literally ripping parts of my soul out? Because You are! you become spiritually attached to the people that you're sexually intimate with. It, it's, it's a mystery. It's, it's something that, that is hard to wrap our head around, but it's, but it's, but it's here. And the problem that was going on with Corinth, in Corinth was that they were going and sleeping with prostitutes. And it could have simply been a sexual thing the way that it is in our culture. Um, it could have been a, a pagan ritual worship thing. But in either case, he's saying, don't you realize... One, that you're spiritually connected with Christ, and the two, the people that you're sexually intimate with, you become spiritually connected to. And that's a logical progression. A equals B, and B equals C, then A equals C, right? So if I'm connected with Jesus spiritually, and then I become connected to a prostitute spiritually, then I am responsible for connecting Jesus to a prostitute. Not in like a salvation sense, in in a corrupted sense. I'm not saying prostitutes don't need Jesus and we shouldn't preach the gospel to prostitutes. Like, I think we should. And I think we can do that without having sex with them. Right? Okay. As long as we're on the same page there. This is, a, this is a truth that I'm not sure that we, we necessarily grab onto, that we become spiritually connected to the people that were sexually intimate. And we become spiritually connected with Jesus. There's a part of us that I think when we turn to Christ, we understand that he saved us from our sin, but maybe we don't quite get that we become spiritually connected with him in a way that's literally changing our hearts. That, that essentially, he becomes a part of who we are, and then he starts to reform us from the inside out. And there's times where I have been gone through my spiritual walk and I've just been like, Jesus, like, why don't you just fix this? Why don't you, just fi-? like, don't you care about the things that I'm going through? He says, of course I care. I'm connected with you. I'm like, yeah, but you like, that's a nice church thing to say, Jesus. Like, I'm connected with you. He's like, no, for real. I am. Don't you realize the ramifications of what we do with our body as we are spiritually connected with Jesus? Jesus has made us more than we imagine. See, we we imagine that our life is just this little box of school and work and and our family and and the friends that we hang out with and like just the things that i got to get done this week. We think that that's all that our life amounts to, but Jesus has made us more than we imagine. When we turn to him in faith, he is making us new. Remember, he is resurrecting the things that were dead in us because he is attached to us. And the things that we do with our body are important because Jesus is attached to us. Not in like an illustration way, not like I'm saying hypothetically, not like it's like, not a simile, not a metaphor, but like is. Jesus is connected to the people he is redeeming. And don't you remember from, I don't know how many weeks ago it is now, that the heartbeat of our faith is that Jesus is finishing the work that he started. We can have confidence In each other, and we can have confidence that God is going to continue to grow us because Jesus is finishing the work that He started in us. And that's the heartbeat of our faith. Not that any of us has it together, not that any of us does everything perfectly, myself included, but that Jesus is finishing the work that He started in us. And this is a reflection of the Trinity. Like And that's, you know, I, what do you talk about with Kid Nation when you're going to be talking about sex with the adults? It's, I didn't really know. But I think that, that sex, in an interesting way, is a reflection of the Trinity. That, that God would say, I'm going to make something like me. I'm going to make man in my image to be like me, and I'm going to have to make them male and female. And he uses plural in there, and it's not definitive from that text that he's talking about the Trinity. But I think it allows a lot of room for that, being somebody who believes in the New Testament. So if you were somebody, just hypothetically, if you were somebody who hated God, who, who wanted to see all of God's plans come apart, who wanted to destroy everything that reminded you of God because he just makes you sick, yeah. How would you attack that? Her deception <laughs> defilement what did you say not it's not real it doesn't exist how would you destroy something that reminds you of God how would you destroy the image of God if you were if you were against it the image of man, the image of man if God created man in his own image and the enemy hates God and everything that reminds him of God and God has made something special to reflect him in creation, is it no wonder that we are so confused and so uncomfortable about talking about sex? Is it so confusing that, that, is is it unclear that the enemy is going to drive at that from the get-go? If God said, I'm going to make this specially to reflect me and reflect my character and reflect my holiness, if I'm going to take this sacred place and I'm going to set it apart from everything else, then what is the enemy going to come in and do? He says, that's not, that's not special. That's just like riding a bike. It's just a physical activity y'all do with your bodies. As long as everybody's consenting, we're good. What I'm saying is it's not a surprise that there's so much confusion and so much, so much shame connected to our conversation about sexuality. I can see the seeds of what the enemy was doing from the very beginning tied up into that. It's been his goal for a long, long time is to get us confused about what God wanted for us sexually because there's something about our sexual relationships that reflects God's relationship to us And his relationship within himself as the Trinity. Which is a great theological idea, but not immensely practical for us this morning. So let's read some practical stuff. Just a few more verses. In verse six, or chapter six, verse eighteen. Flee from sexual immorality. I, I think he's clear here. <clears throat> Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God and your body. So, if you'll excuse the crass illustration, like you don't belong to you. In some sense, you are Jesus' pet. You belong to him. And what he chooses to do with you, he gets to do. He's your owner. When you turn to Jesus and say, I lay my life down and I want to trust you to forgive my sins and I give you full reign over my heart and all the sinful things that I've done, he takes ownership of you, your spirit and your body. And if somebody owns, like, you don't get to argue. If they wanna take squishy pictures with you, you just take the picture. You are not your own. Those who trust Jesus have been purchased by him and we are stewards of his property. You might have woke up this morning I know I did. <laughs> you might have woke up this morning and Oh my legs hurt so bad. They're so sore. How am I supposed to like get out and stand up? And I gotta make like the only reason you get out of bed is because you've gotta make it to the bathroom, right? Like I think that was divinely designed too. But you got, up, you got up this morning, you thought, my legs are so, oh, my knees, oh, they're not your legs. Jesus' legs were sore this morning. He purchased us, and we are stewards of this body. And so, if somebody gives you something to take care of, do you take care of it better or worse than if it is your own? As somebody who rented houses for a long time and now owns one, you take not so great care oftentimes of the things that maybe belong to somebody else, somebody else's responsibility. But if you like the person... See, we had a good landlord, and, and this is unusual. We had a good landlord in Indiana, and this was a guy who cared about us. He, he, we knew that he gave us rent at loss to himself, and he would often come by and just leave groceries in our refrigerator. And if we called about something, he had it fixed yesterday. We had a good landlord. And I'll tell you what, we took care of that house. We did not mind paying for paint to put on those walls because we wanted his house to be better. And I'm telling you, Jesus is a good landlord. And we are stewards of his property with our bodies. He's entrusted them to us. He's entrusted your body to you to honor him in every way. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. Now, a question for me comes up is like, how does marriage fit into all of this? And I think it's a great question. It's a question I'm going to deal with in 2019. So, when we come back to the new year, we're going to be talking all about marriage and about that relationship. Um, but we're not going to talk about it this morning because we've talked about enough. But I've got a couple questions to wrap up. Jesus has made us more than we imagine. We're not just our body, not just do whatever we want. But do we think of our sexuality as a buffet for my fulfillment? There are people who just want to go down the line, and whatever it is that I want, whatever makes me feel good, I'm going to heap it up. Do we think of our sexuality as a buffet for my fulfillment? Are we challenged by God's perspective that it was made to reflect Him? Remember, how would you dismantle a place that was holiness, that was holy, that was set apart? You'd say, This is just a normal thing. Don't treat that as holy. There's no special intersection there. It's just a place. But God says, no, the people that you're sexually intimate with, you're spiritually connected to. Have we been united with Christ? Because this whole conversation hinges on whether or not you've turned to Jesus and said, yeah, I want to trust you to do the thing that I can't do. Like, it doesn't matter how good of a life that I live, I'll never be good enough for God. And Jesus comes to us and says, hey, I know, but I will be. I am. And I will give you my righteousness so that you can be right with God. So have we been united with him? Are we spiritually connected with him and drawing our life from him? Have we been buried with him in death to ourself and raised again to life? And are we stewarding Jesus' property well? not just the church building, the property. I think there's part of that. But the big question in this text has been sexually. Are we stewarding Jesus' property well in a sexual manner? Are we stewarding his property well in a spiritual manner? Are you taking care of yourself spiritually? Are you identifying problems in your life and are you seeking help for those things? Are we developing spiritually? Physically, are we taking care of ourselves Physically, It's a biblical thing. Emotionally. The world isn't perfect, and there are things that we have to deal with emotionally. And it it, it isn't honoring to Christ to just shove those things down, and I'm never going to deal with it. Like, it's healthy for us to deal with our emotions. And doing so is stewarding well the property that Jesus has entrusted to you. When we stand before Jesus at the end of the day, he's raised us up again. Like, are we, are we essentially, are we trading in, like, the old Pinto that we just drove into the ground? Or do we treat it like a Camaro and keep it polished? Do we make sure the engine was tuned up and the oil was changed? Do we drive it because cars are meant to drive? Are we stewarding Jesus' property well? because Jesus has made us more than we imagine it's pretty good thanks again for listening We hope you've been challenged, encouraged, and helped by God and His Word. If you want more information about Grace Church of Ocala or would like to get in contact with us, please visit our home on the internet, Ocalagrace.org. And if we haven't met yet, we hope to talk with you soon.